Welcome back to the BMX in Our Blood. This is episode three, which is somewhat of a filler, but also an introduction to to kind of what I'm all about and um, my history with BMX, so you can understand why I'm involved in this podcast. I started racing back in 1983 when I was 13, and that was an era of BMX that was, you know, highly motivated by uh, BMX magazines and um, just BMX media in a completely different form than we know it today. So, racing back in 1983 was was quite an experience and and different than now in a couple ways, but uh, still just as fun and still can be just as fun. So I raced from 1983 until 1997. And the way things worked out for me was I raced consistently during that whole time period, but right from the beginning, I was doing different things with my bike with friends, uh, including buying a used quarter pipe from uh, an older guy from town, hauling it over to my house, putting it up against a tree and riding that, learning how to air on a on a pretty on a pretty choppy quarter pipe, which I posted pictures of on Instagram in the past through the Gromdad 2000 handle, to building trails, which was consistent in my BMX life until I retired in 97. Trails were always an outlet for me that felt natural as trails have always been hanging out, having fun, pushing each other to to do tricks, you know, at a different, at a new level, as, as fast as you can. Just getting through, you know, new sets of trails, wherever they may be, since we did go to quite a, quite a few different trails during those years. From the mid to the late 80s, it was really a great time for trails in Connecticut, where I'm from. I'm from a little town called Granby. Trails were were just really good through Connecticut. They were they were popping up all over the place. We had fun places like Sunnyside and Pond Brook, as well as a place called Messengers and Bethel and uh, our own trails. We had two sets of trails in, in my town that my friend Corey Unger and I built that were always progressing and um, and just keeping keeping us progressing as well. Uh, even in the winter time back then we would find the the southernmost facing part of a of a building that had dirt next to it, which happened to be a a pharmacy or and it was a little strip of of dirt alongside this south facing wall and we actually built uh, I believe it was three sets of doubles in a row 
right along this little patch of grass between the building and where the asphalt started again. And it was it was pretty cool. I mean, they were only they were only probably a foot and a half tall, but for some reason the pharmacy let us do it and we actually rode there through through a good part of the winter in between snow jumping and things like that. So um anyway that, that time period of mid to late eighties was was strong. I remember being in a position that I really wanted to to really just be underground uh, with my riding and as soon as S&M started with Greg Scott and Chris Muller I bought the first Mad Dog uh, and just felt connected right then it was just such a cool experience to have a bike shipped to me from California and um, you know a couple letters from from Chris Muller and and a couple zines and and things like that and just really fueled me to to keep going with my own trail riding with my friends which we did so in the in the late 80s we started to travel more we went to Long Island quite a bit and rode some of the iconic trails like 7-Eleven and Starrett's as well as more places that I can't quite remember but in the future we're going to have some interviews with some really great Long Island trail riders as well as great racers and they could fill in some of those blanks but there were some really amazing spots that we rode that are still remembered today and and were videoed and documented through those years as well. So I met some of my best friends through trails and definitely connected with a lot of the guys down there. So uh, besides that, I also started in 87 my own team because to be honest, I wasn't good enough to be on a team. So I decided to start my own and it was called DDR. It stood for Dual Directives Racing. I started it with a friend of mine, Corey. And we started by making number plates, hand-cut number plates. Uh, we would buy sheets of 4 by 8 plastic. And we would buy shelving paper, contact paper it was called. And cut out patterns for on these number plates. And use that money... Uh, from selling those plates to help pay for racing. So as Corey phased out of racing, I kept that going and kept the team going until about 95. Uh, it was it was fun and, and it was a way to be creative and help pay for my hobby. And uh, at the same time, we had a local team and uh, we competed back when they used to have team series races. And and that was a lot of fun because we got to help younger kids learn the sport and keep them motivated through the team. In the early 90s, I bought my first house and that's when my my own spot really started to develop. 
and um, and I started to build trails there. Uh, so I, I dug there for all the way until I moved from there in 97. But um, through the early 90s, it was, a, it was, you know, coming back from the Christmas Classic and President's Cup race in Columbus, Ohio, I, uh, I decided on this bus trip back because what would happen is the state of Connecticut, we would charter a bus to the race, the Connecticut State uh, BMX Association would charter a bus there. So on the way back, uh, decided to start a an organization called the CRA, the Connecticut Riders Association, because in my late teens, I thought it would be brilliant to um, to connect with the adults that ran the tracks and you know basically have an open dialogue about uh, how to improve tracks, how to make them a little more fun and. That slowly led to myself getting involved in in uh, opening a track with some friends of mine and with uh, quite a bit of help from uh, a couple adults, a, a selectman in town and a um, famous announcer, Roger Plaskett. He had a big part of that. We, we definitely needed an adult leader. Although I was an adult, I wasn't as well-versed as I needed to be to, uh, to navigate through the, the city of Torrington, which is where we opened this track. So it took two years between going through the red tape and then the actual land clearing and building the track. But we opened that track in 95 and I was the track director of that track and during that same time period I also raced superclass from 95 to 97 not very successfully but I think it's something that everyone should try everyone should try to race semi-pro at some point if you stick with it until your late teens uh, something I didn't mention earlier is in the early 90s all that trail riding uh, kind of happened at at a time uh, that was that was uh, that was really great because contests started to happen, and it, it if you were riding trails, you were you were most likely starting to progress and do tricks and things that that people wanted to see. And fortunately, there was progressive enough people like Ronnie Bonner that. F- uh, at the time of UGP, decided to start a, a small series, a small a UGP flying circus jumping contest. And I, I did a couple of those contests in uh, Kentucky at the Grands, which, believe it or not, was just off of the first jump. We just used the first jump with really no sort of kicker at all. And it it was crazy. Fuzzy won that, and um, and and Jimmy Garcia, I believe, got second. And Jimmy Levan was in there, and Taj Taj Mahalik was in there, as well as Jody Donnelly and a bunch of other guys, and Brian Stimmel from uh, from out Bethlehem Way, uh, Leonard Foster. That was a good one. Um, Frame Standard Lander Leonard, 
So that was that was a lot of fun, and that rolled into another contest at the Christmas race, and that was a lot of fun too. And that one is when things really started to pick up, and um, that one again was on just a, a jump that was on the track. It was uh, it was just a tabletop in the in the second full straight. It was kind of a U inside of a U track, so it was at the end of the second full street it was just a, a simple tabletop but we went off it was it was crazy but it was so much fun it was uh brian foster uh, i believe it was tim stralicki jimmy garcia again uh jimmy levan again the streebies um boy you know i can't remember all of them but it was it was a really fun time so that was the beginning of contests and they progressively got better and better and the riding got better and better. Uh, the skill level was, was up to the point where I couldn't compete anymore because I just, I didn't, I didn't have the, the tricks you needed to really stay in the game. But um, I still love watching it. It was great. The following year, I believe it was uh, there was a separate jump built for the jumping contest, I believe. I could be wrong in that one. I'm trying to remember. But that's when guys like Jody Donnelly uh, was backflipping and Todd Lyons was backflipping and uh, Dave Clymer. Uh, it just really, it really progressed and it was awesome. People were so into it. So, um I'm not saying that that, you know, was the beginning of, of jumping contests, you know, in general, but um, it definitely helped that that really built some hype. And I'm happy to, to say I was part of it in the beginning. And um, after that, uh, there was a short stint where I rode for a team called Z-Tech out of Long Island. That was that was super helpful and helped pay for races while I while I raced Superclass my first year and my and part of my second year and then my second and third year I rode for a company called Spooky. They made mountain bikes and they asked me to help with their BMX team and that was um, that was a great experience. But it was it was cool. I was able to assemble a, a team that that was a lot of fun. It was um, it was under the Spooky brand, um, but it was called Spit. So it was Spit BMX, and Jay Lonergan was on the team along with Eric Brownell, Frank O'Reilly, and myself. So. I put the us four together. We were all super class. It was an all super class team, and we rode these prototype bikes, and and it was uh, it was fun. You know, our entries were paid, and hotels and things like that. And it was it was good. Went to a couple of trade shows, uh, one in California, one in Philly, and learned a little more about the industry uh, through representing this company. So. So that was good, and a lot of people don't know about that, but it was um, it was a good time. It was a, a good time in my life, and something I I definitely remember well and appreciate. Uh, 
uh, because with every experience like that, you you learn some things and you you definitely you definitely benefit from it in some way. So um, so I left BMX in '97 because my wife and I were going to have our first child, and I really uh, is is. As hard as it was for people to believe that I could actually walk away from BMX completely so quickly, I really uh, wanted to focus completely on on raising our family, and I was a bit over traveling and wanted to stay close to home, so I I chose to do that and. Uh, so we had also moved, we moved from the house that I was in and we, we bought a different house together and it was one town over and my old trails continued for a bit longer, but eventually they got torn down. Uh, so, and, uh, during that time that I was gone, spent a lot of time, but, uh, most recently the past Six years or so, my son took up surfing, so we spent a lot of time with with that, which I really considered a parallel to BMX because it's such an individual type of sport. You can free surf or you can compete, but either way, you're you know you're going to different places, you're meeting different people, and you're you're basically riding just like you would trails and performing and competing or just just having fun, just sessioning. So I was really happy to see him take that on. I thought that was cool. And then he picked up skating. And uh, that's when BMX caught up to me again because I had bought him a BMX bike a couple years prior to that that he didn't use much. And when he wanted to go to the skate park, I asked him if I could bring his BMX bike so I could just tool around while he was skating and happened to post a picture on Instagram of me jumping off this little wedge thing just to see if I could still do it. And um, my my good friend Jeff Allen caught wind of that and uh, basically pulled me right back in. So I you know I credit my my friends for for uh, being there for me and encouraging me to keep going and uh, appreciate it so much and always will. Uh, I was given a bike to use by Ted Nelson, another great guy, and um, rode that for the first year until until I until I got a uh, a colt. But, you know, all these things got me back into it and got me back rolling again and, you know, got me to try to get the feel of, of trails nowadays and they're just so different than than when I stopped. I mean, I just keep calling it the the rake and ride era that, that I grew up in and rode until the late 90s to now... Uh, which is basically trail building as an as an art, uh, which in episode two you can hear a bit about that when from my interview with uh, Jim Martinez, who is a a big time 
um, pump track builder and trail builder had a lot to do with boondocks and and um, and right now with Cunningham and and uh, upcoming public access trail system in called Percy Rainer Park, but um, anyhow, so I I learned quickly that the the style of trail riding had changed quite a bit, you know, much steeper takeoffs, much steeper landings, and uh, less um, kind of racer style with, you know, with with one trick jump somewhere mixed in there. Uh, rhythm sections like we used to, or I haven't seen them like, like we used to, like 7-Eleven had where, you know, you just have, you know, evenly spaced doubles for forever. You know, that that type of trail setup has changed a bit, which is all good. It's all progression. And that first year back, I decided to do, uh, actually, it was funny how it came about, but it, it was my buddy Jeff Allen um, is not a big fan of cruisers. So um, we had a little, a little thing going where, where he was he was hacking on cruisers, and a couple of our other friends were were talking about how he basically missed out because everyone raced cruiser, and most of us did it not because we love riding cruisers, but because we wanted to get extra laps in, especially at nationals when practice laps were hard enough to get at the track because the the rider count was so high in the in the eighties and nineties it was just tough to get tough to get laps in. So that's why a lot of us raced cruiser back then. But anyhow, I bet him a hundred bucks he wouldn't race cruiser and that turned into, hey, if we're raising money or if we're betting money and we're going to Jeff's gonna potentially take a hundred bucks, then why don't we do something good with it? And the idea came up of holding a jam to benefit someone and we decided on John Lee from FBM who had had an accident and uh, had some some uh, financial issues because of it and we wanted to do the best we could for him so we decided to, to hold the first fundraising jam um, that I had been involved in and kind of started a an annual tradition so there's a bunch of us that got together and, and did that, and um, and it worked out awesome. We raised a bunch of money for, for John Lee, and we did at the Shoreham track. Uh, there was a, some pre-jam riding at Kiko and Boondocks, and then the actual jam, uh, which was super cool. Raised, like I said, raised, raised good money for, for John, and... Um, and that really got me fired up. I wanted to do it again. It was such a great time. We had such a great turnout. So the following year, I decided to do another one, also at Shoreham. And that one was called Miracle Jam. And that was to remember Dave Mira and also raise money for Stephen Murray at the same time. So we were able to raise a bunch of money for Stephen Murray and sent that to him. He had moved back to England during the time period of when I decided to 
to do it for him and when we actually had the jam. So sent that money off to England and um, did some good for him as well. So that continued for a third year, which was this, this past summer, when I was, uh, I was looking for a, a new cause and decided on Scotty Kramer after, after being uh, told by a good friend, Sean Real, to, um, to consider, consider Scotty Kramer rather than him uh, because Sean had had, had a, uh, had a tough time with an injury riding trails and I didn't even know Scotty Kramer. So uh, I went there to a shop and, and introduced myself and got to know him. So he would, he would be comfortable with me and I would, I would get to know him and, uh, you know, know who, who I was going to dedicate this time for. And, I would say as far as fundraising goes, it's the best decision I could have ever made because he is the most stand-up guy I have met in BMX. He is just amazing and um, just a incredibly inspiring guy with a network of friends like I've never seen before. So, um, so anyway, that jam went off really well and this time ground chuck isaac mccray uh helped me with the fundraising uh getting product and things like that as well and got uh artwork a, a bit more involved in it bmx related artwork which was really cool uh just pictures drawings all kinds of things and and that worked out really really well so um so that Scotty Kramer Jam was, was just a huge success that was at the Trumbull track this year because Shoreham was having their 35th anniversary. So uh, we did it at Trumbull and that worked out really, really well. We did um, we had a jump line there and we had some big, big sponsors due to Scotty's involvement in the sport. And... Um, you know, Vans, Monster, and and all the other great people that, that regularly sponsor these events, which I, I can't thank enough. Uh, and I cannot... A bunch of great ones, and if you look through my Instagram, either on GramDad2000 or DDRBMX, uh, you could see flyers from past jams the past three years, and you could see right on the flyers who sponsored... And um, definitely huge shout out to those guys and and women uh, and just you know support those companies that that support jams like this to help raise money for these riders in need. So that's become my my thing. That's what I like to do. I had a, a ride with Scotty Jam once. I realized he was actually rolling on the bike again, which was a big deal. And we. We had that at uh, the Willimantic Skate Park uh, because Willimantic has a nice set of trails that were uh, have been built, or I should say rebuilt by a friend of mine, Zach Hatfield. And um, they're, you know, they're attached to the skate park, to a concrete skate park um, at the Philip Lauder Park in Willimantic. 
and that jam was just incredible. That was so much fun, and that was uh, kind of a in Scotty's view was kind of a give back type of thing. He wanted to he appreciated the jam we did for him so much that he wanted to give back and be at that jam to really um, be a part of of the BMX community and and really just give back to these kids that love him so much and you know basically give himself for the day uh as well as as well as a bunch of his crew that came with him um big boy mike feedy maddie kramer but uh vinny benino and uh, i know i'm forgetting somebody but anyway it was uh that was a really great time so um so anyhow, it's uh, that's something that has kept me motivated and something I plan on continuing to do. What I did in the meantime was I just can't seem to sit still, so I decided to start this podcast. That's something I've been working on in between, helping with other jams. Just did this Austin Augie jam and also helped with Scotty's Halloween Jam, which was just a ton of fun. So uh, anyway, starting this podcast has been has been great. I'm only two interviews in, and I've got so many planned. And just really get out of these interviews what uh, what I intend to have out there for you to learn about these people and how basically how BMX plays a part in each of these each of these person's lives because it is pretty amazing what BMX can do for you and and do for other people as well. So I just wanted to do a quick little quick little info podcast on me and uh and give you a, a snapshot of what I'm all about and what has driven me to this point. You know, podcast four and on are going to be really good. There's some really good riders and um, people that run businesses, whether it be shops or companies, uh, people that race, people that ride trails, people that ride park, a little bit of everything. Send me a message. Tell me what you think about these. You can message me probably through gramdad2000 on Instagram is the best way. Or you can email me at jp, as in Paul, Doherty, D-O-H-E-R-T-Y. So jpdoherty70 at gmail.com. And I'll, I'll use whatever you whatever you give me as, as fuel for future episodes and change if need be but uh, anyway thanks for listening and you'll hear from me again soon